But this morning we're going to continue in this, this series that I'm doing. I'm just trying to organise myself. Um, on the whole great cloud of witnesses. It's funny, um, I, I was watching some, some uh, what do we call it? Some videos, YouTube clips, they want to describe it. And somebody was, there were two pastors and they were talking about certain Bible scriptures and I'm, I'm, I'm someone who, is, um, if, if someone talks about scripture out of context, it, it sort of frustrates me. I'm a bit of meticulous on, on getting scripture accurate. And the problem that we have is, first of all, our, our English translation of the Bible um, is not a really good, accurate translation. And that's because English is not a real good language to translate to. If, you don't, if English is not your first language, you might understand it a little bit. You wouldn't understand, being Romanian, that English is not the easiest language to learn, is it? <laughs> no. And you might say, what? It's because of the way we speak. In, in the Greek... There's three words for love. And depending on its actual meaning, it's depending on the word you use. We just use the word love. So depending on the context it's spoken in, depending on what it actually means. So you get a different, different understanding. So you actually have to read things in context in order to understand what is actually transpiring. The other thing that comes into play is culture. It's hard to understand sometimes what is being spoken about in the Bible because of the cultural differences that we have. Like, I'll take you an example, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she got married to Joseph, would have been 14. And Joseph would have been approximately about 45. Now, straight away, in our culture, that's wrong. And if you, if you do that, you'll probably end up in prison and a nice little rap sheet, and you'll have this little title that follows you around for, for eternity called a pedophile. But the difference in culture is sometimes what can get us unstuck with what is taking place. So if we read the Bible based upon our culture or through our cultural eyes, we can misunderstand on what is actually being said. God used the culture of the day to, to do his normal Stories. So he used Mary, culturally it was completely acceptable for a young lady to get married in those times. Culturally it was totally acceptable for Joseph, who was 45, because he had to earn or possess certain things and obviously to pay the dowry to actually marry Mary. And so you find that men of those times before they got married used to work a lot in order to be able to own a lot in order to be able to purchase. Sounds bad, doesn't it? But it's a cultural thing. So there's a whole difference in culture of how we actually read the Bible. And sometimes we can look at the Bible through our own culture and not understand of what was actually written or the culture that it was written in. See, the Bible is more than just a book. It's more than just a bunch of stories. It's more than just some pages or some ink on the pages. It's the story of God relating to different people in different times through different cultures and different experiences. And for us, 
we have the ability to read the Bible and glean from someone else's experience. And their story may be a little bit different to ours, but we can glean of what God did in their life and grab hold of the faith or grab hold of the concept that God did it for them and therefore he will do it for me. God taught principles in the Bible that are applicable to us. Sometimes we don't understand them because of the cultural differences. I guarantee if you don't know much about um, different cultures, like, you will find very soon dealing with different cultures, they become very different. Dealing with Romanians is not the same as dealing with islanders. They are completely different. Funny enough, yeah, I won't get into too much, but it's just, it is completely different. And if you don't fully understand the culture, you don't get anywhere. That would be accurate, wouldn't it? You try and get into a culture, and if you don't go through the certain ways, it's not them being rude, it's just you're not following the culture. Now, in a multicultural society, it's important that we begin to understand the different cultures but also understand the culture that is in church. Because what we're trying to bring in the church is what we call kingdom culture or the culture that God has in eternity. We're trying to bring in, we're trying to understand, try and teach, bring in what God has for us and what can move us away from that is the difference in culture. We can miss the culture that God is trying to bring in because we're stuck in our own culture. Like if I begin to talk about the good old story of Cain and Abel, a lot of us miss what God is trying to talk to us because we don't get the concept of sacrifice because we've never actually had to do it in the context of taking an animal and killing an animal. Most of us have never actually been to, well these days we have abattoirs that do it all for us. So most of us don't understand what it's like to take an animal, look after it, maybe give it a name, and then eat it. Don't name it here. <laughs> because of what? Culture. In those days, they could name them. Because it was a resource. Today, you take that little lamb, you bring it home, your daughter or, daughter or your son automatically connect with that animal. They start calling it a name. They start patting it, combing it, brushing it giving it water, giving it food, feeding it from hand. And then that animal now becomes this household pet. And you will never eat that animal. Because <laughs> if you do, you're in trouble. But that's culture. And so the transitions between different cultures can be difficult for us to understand. It can be difficult for us to understand what is God trying to bring in because we, we have to change from what we know into something completely new. This whole concept of messages is, is, is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. 
It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses. That means those that have gone before us, surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us. That's all your worries, that's all your concerns, that's everything that can hold you back. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Which means everything that you go through in life does not even comprehend to what actually Jesus did for you. Our struggles, our, our tedious things. Actually, I was talking about it this week at Maximize. And we were talking about the differences between people in a third world country compared to Australia. In Australia, we're classified as a first world country and we have all these luxuries around us. We have this thing called aircon. It cools the air. But in third world countries, they don't have this thing called aircon. They have this thing called maybe a tree branch that has some leaves on it or a palm frond. And maybe if they sit underneath the shade, they will get a little bit cooler. And so there's a, there's a, a cultural difference between the things. They, they look at us, and funny enough, if you didn't know this, they look at us and, and see the wonder of our faith because we have so many distractions around us. We look at them and we see the wonders of their faith because they have nothing. So someone in a third world country has to rely solely on God for all their provisions in order to get past, get by. Maybe they have to pray and believe in God just to get a meal for that day where we have all these distractions that can distract us from who God is. And so we have completely different cultures and different ways of relating to God, but God still relates in the same way based upon the kingdom. There's a key in Christianity. It's to remain teachable. That means in any situation, in any circumstances, you are teachable. That means you can learn from it. That means you can glean from it. It doesn't matter what transpires. There is always an opportunity to grasp something from it. I have learnt in the last many years, I have learnt from you. And I constantly learn from different people and different connections. Sometimes I get the concept. Sometimes it takes me a while. I've learnt from my kids. My kids have been one of my greatest teachers and my wife. I've learnt more about females than her from anyone else. I've learnt more about my, uh, from little girls from my daughter than anyone else. And I've learnt more about my, a little boy, even though I was one at one stage of my life. But I've also learnt more about people and how people different relate, different personalities and different traits just from being connected. In Hebrews chapter 11, now this is the book of faith, or the chapter of faith, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. 
For our ancestors won God's approvable. It means they connected with God because of their faith in God. And by faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Which means we have the ability to look at the stories of those before us and glean from them. Cain and Abel is an interesting story and most people don't fully grasp it. Most people read over it because it's only a very small part of the whole Bible. But Cain and Abel were two brothers. In fact, they were the first two people born on this earth. Adam and Eve were not born, if you didn't know that. But Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis chapter 4, it says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve. If you are unsure of what that means, they consummated their relationship. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. There was no pain. Oh, no. <laughs> she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. And then she also gave birth to a brother, Abel. Now, there's actually a, a concept or a principle going around that maybe... Cain and Abel were the first twins because it doesn't actually give an age gap or a time gap between the birth of Cain and Abel. But anyway, now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. And in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of the flocks and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. There's a lot to unpack there. But if you don't fully grasp the kingdom culture that God is trying to bring in to this earth, then we miss the fullness of what is actually taking place. Abel was a shepherd. That means he looked after the flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground or a gardener. Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering. It's all in the detail. Cain brought some of his produce and Abel also presented an offering. One of the reasons that we can understand that Cain's offering was not acceptable was first of all, God cursed the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the land and said, by the sweat of your brow, you will bring from its harvest. He said, you'll have thorns and thistles because of your actions. When Cain brought his offering to God, the Bible says that he brought some of the land's produce. The Bible then goes on and says, when Abel 
also presented an offering. And he bought some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. To fully understand the difference between the sacrifices or the difference between the offerings, you have to understand what sacrifice meant. Cain brought fruit and vegetables and he brought them from the earth that was already cursed. It doesn't say he brought the best. It doesn't say he brought the first. It just says he brought some. But when it came to Abel's offering, the Bible says that he bought some of the firstborn. Firstborn. And their fat portions. In Leviticus, it starts talking about what sacrifice is. It starts talking about that certain portions or certain parts are actually more desirable than others. It starts talking about the fat portions. Now, if you don't know much about meat, um, Jason's an expert. At, uh, <laughs> oh, you knew it was coming, right? A little bit of fat is a good thing. And depending on the cut of meat, depending on how much fat you want. There's a steak, right? There's meat you can buy. And it's extremely expensive. It sells for about $600 a kilo. Put that on your budget, eh? And it comes from Japan. And it is top-grade Wagyu beef. And these cows are looked after in a certain way. Their bloodline is bred in a certain way that gives them a high quality of fat marbling throughout their meat. That when you, you cook that meat, and if you ever cook it well done, you've just wasted your money. Okay? And when you cook that meat, the meat actually melts in your mouth like butter. It's not dry, it's perfect. Because of the fat content, the fat actually has a purpose in cooking meat. It keeps it moist, but it's also where the flavour is. <coughs> when Abel brought his sacrifice to God, the Bible says that he bought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. God at that point in time was not a vegetarian. He bought the very best that he had. He didn't bring the lamb that, was, that had gumpy leg. right? He didn't bring the lamb that was a little bit slow. And he didn't bring the lamb that was last. He didn't bring the runt. He brought the first. And he bought the best. He bought their fat portions, which means he looked after and he cut them open and he bought the very best from that and separated it from them. When Abel bought his sacrifice to God, he bought the very best that he possibly could. And Cain brought whatever he could find. But the devil is always in the detail. Cain just brought from the land that was already cursed, and Abel bought his very, very best. And when, Cain, when, sorry, when God looked at both of them, he blessed or he favoured the one who had bought his very best. 
and he despised the one who had just brought whatever he could. Now thank goodness we don't actually have to sacrifice to God anymore. We don't have to kill any animals. But we do make sacrifices to God. God is not looking for whatever you can spare. He's looking for your very best. If you only give him the mediocre, then you can only, you can only really expect exactly what you'll get, what he gave Cain. But if you learn to give God your very best, then God will look on it with favour. There was so much... Cain despised Abel so much because Abel understood who God was that he went out and killed him. We all have the opportunity in our lives to give God our very best. And sometimes when we see someone else being blessed or when God is bringing favour upon their life, we can get a little bit despondent. Now, thank goodness, no one... Well, I don't know. hope you haven't killed anyone, right? That you haven't got so... You haven't despised it so much because they were able to bring their very best. But we can get a little bit jealous and we can get a little bit funny about it. But we can't... Le- we can't Let's be careful that we learn not to, be dis- not to despise someone who has given their very best. We are all children of God. Cain was a child of God. Abel was a child of God. Cain's misunderstanding, Cain's lack of revelation, Cain's inability to understand who God was, didn't change the fact that he was a child of God. In fact, a later passage, it talks about the fact that God is in communication with Cain and he says, be careful what you do because sin is approaching at your door. Cain had then opened himself up because of his feelings towards Abel that enabled him then to cause great harm to his only brother and take him out. Our jealousy for someone else can be a tool used for the enemy. Sin can encroach at your door. But it is important to begin to understand what the Bible says. It is important to understand the principles in God's word. And it's important to understand how God relates to us through different circumstances and different situations. God doesn't require you to take an animal to sacrifice it on an altar. Okay? Because Jesus already was your sacrifice. And when God actually gave his sacrifice for us, he bought his very, very best. He bought his first son, who was pure, unblemished, and 100% perfect. And he bought the very, very best to die for you, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. We don't actually have to sacrifice animals, but we do, on occasions, have to give of ourselves. 
We don't have to give sacrifices unless you understand the concept. But we actually give of ourselves. And if we give of, I suppose, what we can manage, what's almost good enough, what we can spare of ourselves, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do this much for God. Oh, don't feel like it today. I'll, I'll only read maybe this much. I'll only do this much. I'll only serve in this much. I'll only, I'll only be good on Sundays. Right? I actually fall into the sin of Cain. I actually only give him what I'm willing to give him. Only what I can near enough is good enough. But if I learn to give him my very best, I learn to give him my first. I learn to separate what's important to him. And I learn to bring it to him. Now, like I said, he's not after blood because it's already been given. But he is after you. The difference won't change how God loves you. But the difference will be on the external. God loves each and every one of us. And God has great plans and purposes for each and every one of us. But the more I give him, the more he is able to work through me. Some people don't get tithes and offerings. Okay? And tithes and offerings isn't about the money. Because God doesn't need your money. Right? God doesn't need it. He's, he's, he has gates made out of giant pearls. Right? And they say that the, the pavers in heaven are made from gold, right? But God creates anything, everything. He created gold, so he doesn't need your money. And that's a really important fact to understand. It's not about how much you give. It's about opening up your heart to him. When I bring my tithes and offerings, right? when Melinda and I give our tithes and offerings, we want to give our very best. Right? It's not about the 10%. I just want to clarify that. Okay, and, and this is not a bragging thing, but we give above and beyond that because we want to give God our very best. If I scrape something together and go, okay, this is, this is close enough, then that's what I can expect. But if I learn to give God my very best, and this is just one example, right? then what I'm doing is that I'm giving him access to that area of my life. And the more areas I can again give him on my life. So it might be, you know what, I need him to be in my finances. I need to give him, oh, here's a big one, my thought process, right? my mind. I need to give him my marriage. I need to give him my relationship with my children. I need to give him my work life. I need to give him my friends. We'll leave the guns aside. No. <laughs> right? but I need to give him more and more areas of my life. I need to give him my very best. Not, okay, you can come into that area of life when it suits me. You, you can come into my finances when I'm in need, but the rest of the time you stay out. You can come into my marriage when my marriage is on the rocks, but you, you have to stay out over there. It doesn't work. Because all that happens is I become despondent or that area becomes despondent in my life and God is not able to fully work. And what he's actually 
doing at the time that I cry out to him is he's trying to repair instead of build. The more areas that I bring to him and I give him access to the more areas he is able to work in. See, I believe that as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, whatever title you want to call it, right? Disciples, whatever. Then we should have the best lives. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That doesn't mean we have more money to what to do with, because money has not got anything to do with this. But we should have great marriages. And we should have great relationship with our kids. We should have great relationships with our work. We should have great relationships with their families. And even if their families aren't relating to us real well, we should be able to relate to them real well. Because we have something that they don't have, unless they're obviously believers. We have access to the Creator. We have access to the Father. We have this ability to invite heaven into any area of our lives. But if I only use or only invite him when it suits me or on my conditions, then he doesn't have full access. That's as simple as it comes. And so we can misunderstand the story of Cain and Abel because we only look at the story of sacrifice of animals. And we misunderstand the cultural relevance to us that it's not about sacrificing an animal, but it's giving of our lives in all areas of our lives. We have this great surrounding. And it's not just Yarragulba, but it's this region. From Boyland or Canungra, Tambourine, Yarrabilba, Logan Village, Jimboomba, wherever else, we have this ability, or we have this potential in this place to lift up his names and to set an example. To be the answer. Not because you have the answer, but because you carry the one who does. And when we've slipped and when we've formed, we've, we haven't quite hit the goalpost. We have his grace that covers us and says, get back up and run again. That's what we have. Simple as that. Opportunity is what you have. If you don't take it, I can't make you take it. And I shouldn't have to. Either should God. But there is an invitation before us that says, that's what I want. Will you give it to me? That's what I want. Will you give it to me? And half the time it's like, no, it's mine. It's mine. You can't have it yet. I'm not ready to give it up yet. Because we think, if I have more areas of my life, I'm in control. I'll give you a little, little hint, okay? I say this to my wife, it's very, sometimes it goes down well, sometimes it doesn't. Control is an illusion. It does not exist. You cannot control any part of your life. The only thing that you have 
somewhat control over is the way you respond. And depending upon your circumstances or depending upon what you've been, been through can actually determine how you respond. But if I live in a place of freedom, then I actually get to fully respond to the circumstances and how I want to. But control is an illusion. It does not exist. You cannot control what happens to you tomorrow. We were at a funeral last week. Last week? Week just got on. Mel's, it gets a little bit confusing, but Mel's Arnie's husband died two weeks prior. Very tragic way of dying. Out of the blue. He was helping someone else and something happened. Okay? Praise the Lord that he knew who his God was and he will be up in eternity chilling with, with Jesus and anyone who knew him will get to know him and see him again. That's our promise and our hope. But life can turn and a flick of a switch. Life can change very, very quickly. One minute everything is going well and another minute something has tra tragically happened. It's like I think of uh, Mark. Mark had some, uh, if you didn't know on Facebook, Mark had, uh, at least put up that Mark has, um, had some blockages and they end up finding uh, pretty aggressive bowel cancer, right? One, one moment everything's going well and next moment, You've got cancer. Alright? Oh, happened this week, didn't you? With someone you know. Life can turn, so we can't control what happens to us. We can only determine, really, how we respond. And the more areas that I invite him in, the more control he has, if you want to put it that way, the more or less I have to worry. Because when he's in control of my finances, you know what? I don't worry. It'll be right. God's in control. I've put things in place that God looks after that. I'm teaching my kids to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, they're only seven, so... That's even scary just saying that, they're seven. Right? I'm not concerned over my son's diabetes. Because God already, prom already promised that he would look after it. I'm not. I'll teach him and I'll train him as much as I can and at some point in time he will have to have his own faith. But I know that God has got a plan on his life and everything will work out the way it's supposed to. Because that's what the Bible says. As long as I know who my father is, I don't need to worry. Because if I go tomorrow, hopefully I've set up enough for my family as well looked after. If I go tomorrow, I know where I'm going. There's always areas in my life I can invite God to have more access to. But it doesn't change in the fact that I know who he is and he knows who I am and we have a relationship that is building and growing and developing. We need to read the Bible, what it actually says, 
not for what we think or what we want it to say. It's not about convenience. This book should change you. You don't change the way you read it. It changes how you read it. It changes you. It says something and you go, oh, I've got to do that. Not, okay, we'll skip that bit. We'll go back over. We'll go over to the next part. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. That it is a living word. That it may not have been read or written for us, but we can get the principles from it. Father, I thank you that you are a loving God who desperately, desperately wants a greater relationship with each and every one of us. That you don't force yourself on us, but you invite us to give you access. You invite us, waiting patiently, for us to open our hearts and open our minds and open our lives to you. Father, I just ask that you would speak to each one and every one of us. You would guide us and direct us, love us even more than where we are at. That you would speak to us during this week and highlight areas that you want us to relieve, quish, control over to you. Father, I thank you for the many blessings and favour that you have for each and every one of us. The favours that you want to pour out on us. Everything that you want to give us. Father, I thank you for the plans and purposes in our lives. But I want to thank you for each and every one of us. Father, cover us in your covenant. Cover us with your glory. Cover us with favour and blessings this week. We lift up all those who are unwell. And we speak life upon them. All those who are facing hardship, we speak life. And our family members who are doing it tough, Father, grant us wisdom and access points to speak into their lives. We speak your hand upon this place. And upon each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.